You're listening to an ACA podcast. Hello, my name is Miriam Kelly and I'm the Senior Curator at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. And I'll be your host for today's discussion in which we'll hear from three artists whose works are currently on display and in the airwaves in Melbourne as part of a citywide project, Who's Afraid of Public Space? I'm really honoured to be joined today uh, by Gulid Abdulvasi, John Campbell and Larissa Kozlov. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the custodians of the land from which I'm joining you today and on which these three public realm projects are located. I would also like to extend my respects to ancestors and elders past and present and to all First Nations people who are tuning into this program and later via the podcast. Today's talks are presented by ACA as part of Who's Afraid of Public Space, which is a multifaceted project. It includes exhibitions, events and programs that explore the role of public culture, the contested nature of public space and the character and composition of public life. Who's Afraid of Public Space is organised according to a dispersed and distributed structure. In addition to the exhibition and events at ACA, uh, the project also extends across Melbourne. There are a series of satellite exhibitions which have been developed by or in collaboration with our cultural partners. And there are also a number of online projects and public uh, projects in the wider realm, like those we'll hear about today. And you can find out more about the whole project, peruse the map and read more about each of the works on the ACCA website, acca.melbourne. And this link should also now be in the Zoom chat. Thanks, Bianca. Each of the artists today who join us have a rich, engaged and varied approach to the public realm. Their works that have been included in Who's Afraid of Public Space range from billboards celebrating vernacular language, filmic homages to public architecture and a playful subversion of the ubiquitous public announcement. The projects we'll hear about today are all accessible in public now and they're also within close proximity to each other in the Melbourne CBD and the Arts Precinct. And you can also hear some hear and see some of these works at ACA in the gallery where we have dedicated a space to the wide array of projects that can be discovered in the public realm over the course of the show. Today's forum will include short presentations by each of our speakers, uh, and then we'll open up to questions if there's time. And throughout the talks, please send your questions via the Q&A function in the menu below, uh, and we'll try and capture them all at the end. I'll introduce each of our speakers before they give their presentations rather than continuing to talk through uh, everyone's bios now. And so it's my great pleasure to first introduce Larissa. Larissa Kosloff is a Melbourne-based artist. Larissa makes performative videos, short films, audio works and participatory artworks. Larissa has presented numerous solo exhibitions nationally and her work has been selected for significant group exhibitions around the world. In 2019, she was also the recipient of the prestigious Gerges New Art Prize. Did I say that correctly? <laughs> and in 2017, she was shortlisted for the Melbourne Urban Prize for Public Sculpture. Larissa has an interest in language, humour and the relationship between the body and the everyday environment. And her work for Who's Afraid of Public Space, titled Public Announcements 2, certainly continues these interests in a brilliant new audio project. You can encounter Public Announcements 2 uh, via the speaker system when you travel along the concourse between Arts Centre Melbourne and Hamer Hall at any time of the day between Monday and Saturday. And we thank the Arts Centre Melbourne for their generous support of the project and their outdoor sound system. Larissa, thank you for this superbly pitched, playful, subversive project. And thanks to you for taking the time to talk to us today about your project and your work. 
over to you. Great. Thank you, Miriam. Um, I want to acknowledge too that I live and work on Bunurong and Wurundjeri Woiwurrung country and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Um, this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, I've done quite a few different projects uh, in the public domain over the years and several of them have been commissioned by ACCA, so I thought I might run through some of those historical projects before talking about the new work that I've made for Who's Afraid of Public Space. Um, as Miriam said, I mainly work in video, but I also make audio artworks, site-specific artworks, and works that directly involve the public. Um, and I'm interested in human experience and psychology, particularly in relation to received cultural values and, and social conditioning. My work is tactically influenced by slapstick, especially early cinematic slapstick, not so much in terms of base humour and like a pie in the face and stuff, but these really beautiful, sophisticated techniques that people like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton developed um, to explore human behaviour and the conditions of modernity. And they developed really compelling ways of doing this, including physical humour, um, mimesis, exploring representational function, comic overlay and juxtaposition, to name a few. And I also um, employ those techniques in my own work. So I'm going to talk about the influence of slapstick a little bit today as well. So I'll share my screen. So I, um, the first project I wanted to discuss is the Super 8 films that I spent about 10 minutes, uh, 10 uh, years making, sorry. And um, it's an example of filming in public space. So I used um, Super 8 technology to go out in Melbourne often or overseas and make these short films of people interacting in public space. You can see them here. Um, and there's places like St Kilda Road, or the Docklands with um, hundreds of Santa Claus running through, just these sort of strange anomalies, um, a public wave pool, um, the old things at the old city square. Um, and they're usually very short, sometimes less than a minute and looped on repeat. So they're almost like sealed holograms that um, I developed. And I might, I'll play one now. I'll play one as I talk. This one's called Jogathon. So I used um, super great technology to abstract the everyday and to recharacterize the familiar. And this is a technique I use a lot in my work. In making these works, I was trying to create critical distance in terms of observing culture. If the films seemed too nostalgic when I received them back from the developers, I wouldn't keep them as artworks. So they're not about being nostalgic. They're about sort of looking at something with critical distance. Um, and I've been trying to sort of, in these films, create something that's recognisable but somehow other at the same time. And I guess my work for, my new work for ACA is also trying to do that. These works explore human behaviour and public space in a way that is distanced and slightly abstract. They also have the aesthetic of early cinematic slapstick and reference the legacy of the modern era. So you can see here, this was in the city square and there's a group of people jogging on machines, um, a really strange screen in the back and then SpongeBob um, in, the, in the foreground. So that's an example. Um, so this was a work that was also commissioned by ACRA in 2011 and I was asked to create a live performance work for the Vernissage event of the Venice Biennale. So quite a strange request to make a work that didn't have a venue but would happen 
in the opening event of the Venice Biennale. So what I did, did was I got my right leg um, put in plaster. I didn't actually have a broken leg. I just got a nurse to encase it in plaster. And I travelled from Melbourne to Venice um, with my leg in plaster and on crutches, sort of freighting myself in as an art object. Um, and I researched all the exhibiting and famous artists at the Venice Biennale. And I then networked at the opening and got those artists to sign my cast. Um, I then, once the cast was full of signatures, I cut it off and I carried it home as a sculptural artwork. And then the, the cast was um, mounted within this vitrine and it rotates around a little motor. And I exhibited it along with the photos that you've seen circulating. So there's slapstick um, humour, obviously, this, in this work um, in terms of just even physical humour, but it also explores ideas of fandom, authorship in art, the original and the copy, the social basis of art, and, and things like whether or not we have empathy for the other and subject-object relations and that kind of thing. So it's an example, I suppose, of performing in public myself. Um, there's a slapstick sensibility in terms of the physical humour because obviously Venice is the worst place in the world you can have a broken leg. But it also explores social dynamics and qualities of effort and intention. And those are the sorts of things that also play out in, in slapstick humour. Um, when I returned, I wasn't showing with the gallery at the time and I noticed a lot of collectors and collections were really interested in buying this work and I realised that it was because it had a lot of famous signatures on it. And I decided that I didn't want to profit off those careers. And so I showed it as a project at Anna Schwartz Gallery, at the photos and the, the, the cast artefact object, and decided that, um, that I wouldn't sell it, but whoever came to support the project from an institution could have it. I didn't tell anyone that, but it just, just turned out that Max Delaney showed up to the opening on a Saturday to to support the work and he was the director of Mama at the time so I gave it to him, I gave it to Mama and it's now in the Mama collection. Another project I wanted to discuss is this work called The Green Text from 2011 and again it was a, a commission from ACCA, by ACCA. Um, I was commissioned to make a work for a small regional town in Victoria called Nadimook um, and it was a collaboration with Andy Thompson, this work. Um, we needed, we had to, we wanted to make a work that the locals could enjoy, but also a visiting public. Um, so we did a site visit and we loved this bowling club. We loved the aesthetics of bowling and also the culture of the club. And um, we approached the local bowlers about performing in our work and literally becoming an artwork for the day. Um, and they agreed to that. They were great. And so we wrote a script, which was a rambling conversation between two bowling experts. And the script explored random topics such as sports psychology, French theory, physics, just very, very diverse range of topics. And um, we recorded that script with Julia Zamiro and Santo Chilauro. And people could come on the day and listen to it on headphones as they watched a tournament of live bowls. Um, so it conflated a live unfolding narrative with a pre-recorded one. And it just sort of brought those two things together. Um, and the work was picked up for the Glasgow International Festival of Visual Art and there's lots of bowling clubs over in Scotland as well and so we changed the script and we got Scottish actors to record and we hosted it over there as well and um, made a short film as well. This is on my website. If you're curious about the script, 
I don't have time to play it today, but there's we I sort of paired the footage of the Natty Mike Club with um, the script, which is quite fun. So again, this work has a connection to slapstick in terms of observing the performing body, but also in terms of lateral thinking and using comic overlay to create subtext around individual and group behaviour and culture. And this brings me to my my work for ACA, which is called um, Public Announcements 2. And for this project, I have written and recorded a series of audio announcements that are broadcast from the speakers from the Arts Centre to Hamer Hall, as Miriam mentioned. Um, there's about 20 speakers along that site and 30 announcements in total. So they run every 30 seconds. So if you're walking along there, you probably, you'll probably at least hear one, maybe two. Um, Sula Alexander is the voice actress in this work and she has a lot of experience in advertising but also acting. So she can um, bring that very professional tone to the work but also add subtext in it as well and she's done a beautiful job of that. Um, the professional voice is something that we hear in public space a lot through advertising, public announcements and even the AI in our phones. We're used to these micro-interruptions constantly in our daily life. The professional voice is detached, coercive and pleasant. It instructs us in particular ways and has a subliminal presence in our lives. I associate the professional voice with neoliberalism and capitalism. It claims neutrality and expertise. It's polite, but it wants us to do something. In this work, I have co-opted the professional voice into an artwork. The announcements are unexpected and out of character. They stand out rather than blend in and they, they provide unsolicited advice to people passing by, exploring topics such as etiquette. And I'll play a few for you now so you can gain a sense of them. Social space becomes an exhibition space. The results are in. 97% of other pedestrians would not wear your clothes. For more tips, visit the tip. Let's teach the real history. And final one. It is fine to apply lipstick here, but don't make it a big production. So that's a, that's a taste of them. Um, I'm trying to hit that this sweet spot with the announcements where they're quite bizarre, but they also register as true or in some way, and they reflect the dynamics that are familiar to us, such as tendencies to judge or compare. The announcements aim to disrupt private thoughts of passers-by and provide a strange presence. Most of them are deliberately trivial and slight, and I sometimes feel nervous about that, um, talking about this project, as if I've got this public space and I'm, and I'm not adding anything meaningful. I'm making these slight, you know, very kind of slight trivial statements. But the triviality of the statements is important because it mirrors the superficiality of our commercialised competitive world. And we really internalise that culture and naturalise it. So the humour in this work comes from acknowledging the fluff of advertising and managerialism. I often read random blogs to get ideas for these announcements and I like the persuasive, opinionated tone of those blogs. They tend to overstate the obvious and, and have quite ridiculous content. Um, I like using existing infrastructure when I make these works, so I look for speakers that already exist because they allow me to utilise the authority and character of the location and they feel much more authentic if I use existing infrastructure. 
the work has two audiences, one who's gone to actively sort the work out and the other is an incidental public audience who won't perhaps won't even know that it's an artwork. And so I really like that overlap. Um, and even though they're not a visual thing, I think of them like sight gags in cinematic slapstick. Um, the announcements are on till the 20th of March and um, I, hope, I hope if you get to go down there that you enjoy it. And that, that's all I have to say about the work. So thanks very much. That's fantastic, Larissa. Thank you so much. It's, it's really nice to hear you talk through the relationship of that work to, to um, the work you've made previously. Um, and also, I suppose, the dynamics you work with in public space and, and with the public. Um, I also love that idea of drawing from the superficiality and fluff of advertising and management. Uh, it's a very it's a very beautiful balance that um, I think you, you then engender in the work. That's so great. Um, so, Gouled, I'll, I'll ask you to jump on now too. Uh, Gouled Abdulvasi is an architecturally trained multidisciplinary artist based in Melbourne, although joining us very early in the morning <laughs> from Addis Ababa. Thank you so much. Um, Gouled's work has been represented in local exhibitions and in publications such as the interdisciplinary online journal Dichotomy. Gouled has noted that he's interested in the connections people make with their environment through architecture, particularly in relation to ideas of home. And Gouled's work for Who's Afraid of Public Space extends these considerations with a stunning black and white film titled The Block. And until 7 March, you can see Gouled's film on the hoarding of the Metro Tunnel in Federation Square, supported by the Metro Tunnel Creative Program. And an iteration of this film is also on display at ACCA in the project space until 20 March. Gouled, your work sits so perfectly pitched within Federation Square um, against a backdrop of the city's architectural layers and the, the state of change that is, you know, afoot in that area. Um, thank you so much again for taking the time so early in the morning um, to speak with mm -hmm. us today about your practice and about this film. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, um, my name's Gouled. Um, before I start, I'd also like to um, acknowledge and respect the traditional custodian um, owners of the land that I live and work on. Um, I pay my respects to their ancestors um, and elders, past, present, um, and future. Um, so I'm a Melbourne-based um, artist and also a multi-disciplinary um, student and practicing um, graduate architect. Um, my interests um, generally um, lie at the intersection of architecture and um, public art, um, and also they generally rotates around um, home and um, identity um, in relation to myself. Um, my um, so I'll just bring up my presentation. So. Um, um, my curiosity generally rotates around the idea of home. Like I've said, um, creatively and architecturally, the idea of home um, and identity has always been a progressive search um, throughout my um, artistic and professional career. Um, later in life, I realized this search of home and identity came from um, a change of environment um, which I experienced 
from migrating to Australia at a young age. Um, ever since then, um, a sense of um, creativity and visual um, output has been a way of me um, searching for what home and identity is. Um, so just a look at my process and um, a couple of my projects that I've um, done. So Ira de Debu'u is an installation that i done in collaboration with MAV. Um, and this also was one of the first projects that looked at, um, so the, my community, which was Atherton Gardens um, Estate, and um, I was exploring what um, identity um, looked like and through um, an abstract form. Um, I, at the start, because of just, um, I guess, um, feeling, um, you know, just wanting to, I wasn't used to sharing a lot in relation to my identity and, you know, um, my culture. So a lot of my output um, um, I found was abstract and um, that was like a comfortable form of art that I naturally drew to. Um, so yeah, this um, piece um, is a response to um, the repetitive nature and the symbolization of what stability looked like for my community um, from an abstract perspective. Um, this was another project which um, I was a part of. It, um, it's called Above the Horizon. Um, I was the documenter for this project and the project aimed to um, the project aimed to give new life to certain misused spaces under the states where either you know there'd be um, uses of drugs and needles would be found and um, we found over you know um, a month of documenting this space that it cleaned up you know and like gave new life to um, these um, spaces under the buildings that used to be dark that are bright and you'd you know find you know kids coming and playing after school and engaging with the um with their home and their building in a positive um, manner um so influences um in, in relation to i guess my longest going project the block um one of the first um, images that um, initiated this project was this image of um, the Richmond States that I took from my bedroom window. Um, uh, so apart from the search for what home and identity was for me, a large influence at the start was the negative representation that the community had. Um, so I simply wanted to um, find a way to showcase um, the beauty and, um, you know, um, find, almost pay homage to um, these spaces from a positive perspective and share this with the outer community. Um, so I, you know, slowly later on started to document each of the um, estates um, surrounding me, which was um, Richmond, Carlton and Collingwood, um, including Fitzroy, where I lived. 
Um, and I wanted to sort of focus at the start at, um, you know, a couple of elements and like um, focusing on one um, thing at a time in terms of the, the home or the architecture of um, these spaces. Um, I also took photos of um, like daily um, like ritual spaces that I either went through or that held, you know, certain memories like the, um, you know, the staircase doorway where if lifts didn't work um, in the morning, especially going to school, it can be, the lifts can be quite congested. So, you know, I'd find myself running down the stairs and I've always found this elevation really intriguing in terms of all the different elements and um, lines, um, you know, and yeah. Um, another influence um, that helped with the progression of um, my imagery was this photo that I took of my mother accidentally while she was just leaving um, home. And um, it was, I think what drawed me to this image was the high contrast and the silhouette-like um, form that was um, created. And this really sort of changed the direction of how I wanted to display these images. Um, I later on started to, you know, see how I could combine this and try to create an abstract form, which, you know, funny enough, you know, it sort of closely reflected, you know, my search for home and identity. And um, at times, you know, um, how I viewed, you know, I guess this city, you know, it was almost like this where it's, you know, different shapes and forms, you know, memories, um, the appreciation that I've always had for um, just form and line in relation to buildings. Um, I later on um, started to break down the images and I wanted to almost recreate um, the block, um, you know, um, symbolically, um, literally creating a block from, you know, images of, you know, the states of the block. Um, and I started with doing, you know, more, you know, narrow, like tower-like um, forms that, you know, reflected what the states looked like from, um, from like a elevate a thin sided of elevation, and then from you know the wider side, you know it, it looked you know a lot wider like that. Um, but this was the first outcome, and I still you know didn't really think you know this was the outcome that I wanted. So um, I later on um, started to focus on specific elements of the building um, and then um, I realized that it started to capture the um, the spirit of that photo I took of my mother that was you know highly contrasted and it, it really focused on one subject and um, and I guess this was me also realizing what um, I wanted to showcase and um, you know, at this point, I realized yeah, that was what was most important was the architectural elements of the buildings and, um, you know, um, and the history behind it and um, wanting to share that with 
um, people and really, because uh, um, because these buildings have been around for so long, um, people just walk by it or, you know, don't um, really appreciate it, I guess, as much as I did. Um, and, you know, capturing specific elements really helps people um, engage with um, the overall building. Um, so this was another one where it was, you know, looking at the junction between the floor slab and the, you know, top part of the window, um, the like corridor window. Um, this was another one that I um, really enjoyed creating, which was um, the services of the building, you know, just underneath the first floor where you would find all these types of um, line work and like depth. Um, and I simply just wanted to emphasize that and took out the color um, and sort of rustified it and just really tried to yeah, play with, you know, the depth and just show what was there and oh, I guess how I saw it as well. Um, so my current work um, still sort of is, you know, developing on those ideas. Um, I still, you know, intend to finish the first series and, you know, pub, um, publish a, you know, a book. Um, but I've also started, you know, series B, which um, I'm trying to incorporate, you know, um, drafting or I guess the more architectural um, aspects of um, the work and how I perceive these buildings. Um, the second work, which I did recently for my thesis, also looked at the um, idea of home, more specifically um, my, you know, um, birthplace, um, Gerudawa, Ethiopia, and I, you know, looked at vernacular architecture and um, tried to, you know, go back um, and try to yeah, explore what home identity looked like um, in my roots. Um, and a current um, project that I'm working at at the moment is called Vernacular Thatching Housing, which is a documentation project of vernacular Ethiopian, um, specifically like I'm starting with Oromo, um, like thatching housing, which, um, you know, we can learn a lot from architecturally speaking and um, by documenting and sharing this, um, um, I hope to, yeah, to share the different techniques that um, are not either, either seen or could be applied, um, especially since, you know, we are not gonna always have the resources to, you know, build buildings like we currently do, especially in the West. Um, so um, going back to, I guess, um, you know, traditional techniques um, is something that I want to emphasize and try to bring back. Yeah. Um, thank you. So that was um, my presentation. And currently you can also see um, the block um, at ACA um, until the 20th of March. And, and yeah, um, you can visit my website as well. And um, I, yeah, I intend to continue this search for what home and identity is. Um, um, it's probably going to be a lifelong thing, less um, just like, you know, um, any other yeah, creative form. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Guled. That was a really beautiful mm. articulation of um, your exploration of home and identity um, through abstraction uh, and just those striking high contrast um, uh, focal points on the details of these um, brutalist buildings really does encourage um, a great appreciation of their architectural elements. Thank you. It's, it's a stunning Thank work. Thanks. Um, so I now have the pleasure of welcoming John Campbell. Uh, John is a Melbourne-based artist who is well known for his long-standing engagement with the vernacular language of pop culture, pop music and suburbia. John creates visually engaging text-based paintings, collages and sculptural assemblages uh, and has presented numerous solo exhibitions in Australia as well as in New Zealand and Hong Kong uh, and his work has been selected for major group exhibitions nationally, nation oh, sorry, nationally and internationally. Uh, among his many prestigious residencies, awards and other accolades, uh, John also received major public art commissions, including recently the Western Roads Upgrade Commission in 2021, uh, and also completed a Melbourne Art Tram in 2013. John's work uh, for Who's Afraid of Public Space is titled Your Best is Good Enough for Me, and it is a panoramically scaled banner specifically commissioned for the 43-metre-long hoarding which currently extends along Swanson Street in front of the Metro Tunnel site in Melbourne City Square. And you can see John's work here until the 7th of March. His work also has been supported by the Metro uh, Tunnel Creative Programme. John, the affirmative spirit of this work, uh, both in its text and its superb colour palette, is definitely a sentiment that resonates with many of us at the moment. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today about your work. Over to you. Uh, thank you, Miriam. Um, yeah, nice to be here today with everyone else. Um, uh, I'd also like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that I'm speaking to you on today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and offer my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Um, so yes, this first um, image we have here is of the actual uh, mural that uh, is a vinyl print that uh, runs along the hoarding here at uh, the city square in Melbourne, which is currently part of the um, build for the uh, Metro Tunnel project. Um, and I'm gonna talk mainly today about the process of realizing this work. Um, it is slightly different, I guess, working in the public realm um, to realize projects as opposed to my uh, studio practice. While there's kind of close relationships between the uh, imagery and I guess uh, the approach to you know finding words and sayings um, is similar, but I think the big difference probably for me and, and having done uh, several public art projects now um, is that the the public art project of course involves a lot of other people that um, you know in this instance are working with the curators at ACCA, um, the Metro Tunnel Creative Program, working with the printers, Peak Digital, who printed and installed the work. Um, whereas mainly with my studio practice, it's me, and um, I realise the ideas as I need to, and um, I make those decisions, and I put out, I guess, 
just what I want to put out um, mainly into the gallery scenario. Um, and so I guess the studio practice has a more indoors um, feel to it and realisation and, of course, the public works are outdoors. And um, it's, it's interesting working in the public because you do have um, in this kind of design process uh, all this other input, I guess, that it's not, and I understand that, and that's one of the, I guess, challenges of working in that space, that it's not just a kind of free-for-all, you know, where I can just do whatever I want and everybody goes, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, you know, there's a lot of negotiation and and I actually really like that process of working with everyone else to, you know, find the sweet spot, I guess, and um, where everybody's, you know, um, happy with, you know, what's going to be presented. Um, so your best is good enough for me It came out of that process, you know. Initially, I was approached by uh, Miriam and the curators at ACA to present a text work, which has been what I've, how I've been working in recent times with text. And um, the, you know, first thing is to find that kind of text. And uh, the text comes out of, um, you know, recent work. I've got, you know, hundreds of words and sayings that could possibly become artworks. And, um, it's to find something within that that might kind of work in this context. Um, can I have the next slide, please, Bianca? Uh, yes. So this is typical of, let's say, my studio practice, which is mainly painting, um, and then the uh, paintings, um, imagery, design, sayings, can go out into various other art forms, um, flags, banners, neons, um, in this case, a large vinyl print. Um, and in recent times, I've been working, I guess, in the spaces around the, the letters, um, which I would, you know, guess call the negative space, um, to slightly abstract the saying so that uh, the viewer has to spend a little bit more time unravelling the text and um, they possibly come to it visually first um, and that's kind of important, this visual engagement with it. Uh, and then the text reveals itself and then the viewer has some relationship to the text and hopefully the text maybe opens up um, other things to think about. Uh, so it was this kind of approach that uh, I used with the uh, the mural work as well um, to find the text. I worked through, it's sort of, a, I guess, a, a, a thing of elimination of all these texts to see what might be a little bit more relevant at certain times. Um, this one says absolutely disgusting and uh, I made the painting in 2015 and I guess it came out of, you know, um, oh, maybe political discourse or 
I had the idea that the viewer could apply to anything that might kind of relate to them. And there's many instances where um, the kind of one's response to what's going on, um, that that's absolutely disgusting. And uh, I was thinking quite a bit about politics and uh, I guess the political discourse um, in recent times. But this um, way of working is the approach uh, that went into the mural work as well. Um, can I have the next slide, please? So usually the process is once I find um, a sayings, and the sayings can come from anywhere. I'm always on the lookout for words and sayings that resonate with me in a certain way that I think might resonate to a wider audience. Um, your best is good enough for me. Had a certain sentiment, um, as Miriam mentioned, a kind of positive sentiment. Thinking about the times, thinking about Melbourne, thinking about putting something into the public space in Melbourne that maybe was slightly more uplifting um, at this point in time. So I, it's a kind of drawing process is how I work. I don't actually do any um, artwork or art design on the computer. Um, as you can see from this image, things are hand-drawn, often on graph paper just to get a sense of uh, scale and the graph paper helps me keep it kind of lined up, I guess. Um, and so then the process from here is I work with another artist, Melbourne, Darren Munts, and um, Darren then works. He's a painter as well, Darren, but um, he also works with the computer and with design programs. And so he will get my kind of designs ready for uh, production. And essentially it's a back and forward between Darren and I. We've got a good working relationship. So we send... I essentially just scan drawings like this, send them to Darren. Darren um, puts them into his design programs. We'll send it back and we go back and forward from that point until we get to the final work. Sometimes we sit together to do it. Often we're just sending things um, via email. Uh, next slide, please. Um, and so once we've got the design, then the next thing for me is to work out the colours and I just work from a, um, a Pantone, a PMS book. I itemise the colours like this. On the, it's just a photocopy. Um, you can probably see the lines in red where I'm starting to break up those shapes. I uh, give it a number, send this off to Darren, and then he'll send back the next slide. and. On we go uh, with this process. Can I get that next image, please, Bianca? Yep. Darren then sends back the coloured image for me. I make several more um, adjustments like this where I just sort of fine-tune some of these colours. Uh, next one, please. That's the sort of final design that Darren sent to me. Um, then this design has to be okayed by everybody, um, uh, particularly the uh, Metro Tunnel 
creative program, uh, given it's going into their space. And, and I'm always prepared at this time for, you know, we've decided on the saying, so that's the main uh, hurdle, if you like. And then the colours, which, you know, usually it's fine when I'm presenting things at this stage with the colours, um, you know, no one's looking at it going, I don't like that pink or anything. And um, so then this will get sent to the uh, printers and I worked with a, a company that came through Akron uh, Metro Tunnel called Peak Digital. And, again, I like this process, you know, that everyone has to be involved and then Peak Digital will get this design and they can come back and say, well, you know, maybe we need to change this or change that just in terms of... Uh, production and fabrication. Um, next slide, please. After I'd sent it to Peak Digital, they did come back and say, we can actually add these extra vinyl overlays um, onto the, uh, the main vinyl print that were sort of specialist vinyls and some were, you know, gold and silver reflective surfaces, um, some digital... Uh, uh, sorry, some uh, fluorescent colours. And what happens is they put the mural up and then these are sort of, they're also um, uh, laser cut images and these little sections and then the sections get kind of stuck on by hand. Um, can I have the next slide, please? That comes back to me from Peak Digital. Um, there's all the little pieces you can see there that they then overlay on top of the vinyl, um, which it's, it's kind of great what they can do with the printing these days and, uh, you know, great surfaces and fantastic colours, you know, just really, really pops. Um, next image, please. Then given that we're working on where this is sited, it is a building site there. and. Um, what happened in the middle of the process was that uh, these four concrete pylons had to go up on the footpath in front of the mural because uh, they're going to erect cranes on those in the coming months and the big shed that sits on the site is going to be pulled down um, this year. So then they asked, you know, we negotiated uh, some more detailed designs to go on to those as well as some uh, metro tunnel um, advertising. So I made some details of the work um, coming out of the main mural. And next uh, slide, please. This is the kind of pylon in front of the um, actual mural. It sits behind that. And there's four of those. And next slide. And this is the actual um, a detail of the image as you walk past it on uh, Swanson Street there. And the next slide, please. And there it is. Um, so, yeah, that's all. Thank you. That's fantastic, John. Thank you so much. And we definitely love the pink. So it was yeah. <laughs> about those colours stunning. It's been it's been an amazing um, work to see come to fruition and, and so wonderful to see 
um, that studio practice and then how you've worked collaboratively with the producers um, of the project. Um, thank you all so much today um, to all three of you. I know you, you have such um, distinct uh, practices, but there's there's been some really nice connections between um, the projects and the discussions today. Um, I find you all drawing from images and language and structures that exist in public space and, and really making us think about the public realm and, and those structures within it. And each the, the way you've each considered iterative projects too, exploring the depth and the range of, uh, of topics over a number of formats or contexts. Um, and of course, approaches to audiences, both incidental and intentional is a, a really interesting um, a thread as well. Larissa, perhaps I might just throw a question to you to start with. Um, uh, perhaps a little sneakily, I took a note before we, um, we jumped online and uh, about a, a statement you made about people being detached in public space. And it's something you really play with in this work. And I wondered if you might speak, speak a little more about um, your thinking about audience when you were developing this project. And also I was thinking in terms of the relationship to cast where um, there was this wonderful tension that you work with in your, your practice about the fine line between how important it is for people to know and not know that it's an art project. So perhaps if you could speak a little bit further about audience. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, you get those two audiences, as I mentioned. You get the one who knows they're, they're looking at an artwork and seeking it out and then the incidental one, and I really like that overlap that happens. Um, I, I did a test the other day on the site and it was really nice watching responses because some people completely register the announcements and start and stop and listen for more and start talking or laughing. And then other people are completely in their own world. And in a way, I think like um, mobile phones have had a really big impact in how we experience public space because people can be physically present but completely mentally somewhere else and we've really normalised that that we're sort of travelling through space but completely somewhere else. So that means our attention span is really um, distracted and that, and that kind of thing. It's true with the cast work. One thing I should say is I never lied that I had a broken leg. That was a rule I had for myself that I was never deceptive about. But if people didn't last, then, you know, we didn't have a conversation about it at the same time. So it was kind of um, that was an interesting dynamic, like setting up the parameters as well is kind of interesting. But that's the, the trick of, trickiness of doing works in the public domain. You know, I mean, a lot of people just aren't interested and barely, barely aware of things they hear or see. They're just completely in their own world and then others are going to be quite stimulated by it. And, um, yeah, I find that a really interesting dimension that we can work with as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been a um, a great experience working um, and having a array of projects in the public realm, um, indeed, to stimulate that that dialogue. Um, well, Ed, I wonder if I might throw to you. Um, you have a really beautiful emphasis on the the architecture in this project, and rather than the inhabitants of the the buildings that you're you're documenting, um, which is a really nice um, approach to. I guess, the layered histories of the buildings too. And I wondered um, for our audiences who might um, be interstate or overseas or who might not have as much knowledge about the, the architecture that you're um, documenting in this work, could you speak a little bit more about the history of the buildings? Oh, yes. Um, so um, the buildings or like the estates surrounding the Melbourne CBD um, have been around for a long time and also um, 
like these spaces um, along around the city, um, especially the CBT, were like slums. Um, yeah, um, and the buildings were basically um, a modernist sort of architectural response to the city to um, increase the population of the um, urban like surrounding um, suburbs. Um, to sort of balance the um, suburban population as well. So, um, and through this, um, you know, it was, um, you know, there were positive, um, you know, outcomes um, because of this, but as well, you know, like, you know, everything else in, you know, public architecture, there's, you know, over time, um, because of certain considerations that were not made, um, um, and how buildings were designed and built, you know, issues started to arise, you know, de um, depending on the different communities that came through these spaces. Um, so it has a very rich um, cultural and social political history, um, which um, I like have documented, but I haven't like sort of showcased yet. So like I said, I probably might take me like, I don't know, another five years really to finish this and I'd love to do this you know internationally as well and um, see what you know public architecture looks like especially in Ethiopia where it's quite new and you can see like these similar modernist you know um, buildings popping up here and you know same issues are arising um, so yeah it's very interesting. Yeah thanks so much. Um, John we've had a couple of questions um, from the audience about a little bit more information you gave um, some tidbits about how you came to the phrase and perhaps maybe um, just extrapolating a little bit more about the way you work with language where you draw it from and, and maybe where this phrase um, comes from you uh, but also I wondered um, question from me is how whether um, the way of working collaboratively in this way and in in the public realm has changed anything or what you might bring back to the studio practice I know your your practice sort of always layers on itself in terms of the new things that you you work on so I wondered if you might answer both of those questions if that's not too much trouble thank you uh, sure um the saying is something that uh, that as I mentioned these things kind of hang around and it first was actually from a really good friend of mine, um, the artist Jeff Lowe, actually, who lives in Paris and um, we've been long-time friends. And it was him who first said it to me and I, and I usually try and write these things down at the time because you do forget them. And um, I think that it, it, we've done some things together, you know, performances and uh, some music-related things. And I think he'd asked me for a if I could provide a voiceover or some music for something. And, um, again, I'm not that technological and um, I think I said, you know, I'll do what I kind of can. And I remember him saying, it's okay, your best is good enough for me. And I always was like, well, that was a beautiful thing to say because, you know, that I would give it my best, which I was, you know, going to do anyway. And so I guess thinking about this in terms of the project, that it is. Um, you know, I, I like that kind of sentiment generally, you know, that and, and so everyone might have a different idea of what someone's best is or someone's best might not be much at all, but um, if they've gone with that intention and, and they're going to do their best, then I'm okay with that, you know. I don't need to ask for anything more. And um, 
it's and so I've sort of you know I have thought about that over the years even in my other interactions with people that um if they say you know I'll give it my best shot and if they do then that's kind of okay and that doesn't mean it's going to be great or it's going to work out or anything it's just it's more that kind of intention that I like and um so you know this seemed like something that could fit um in these times if you like and uh yeah so that was sort of a little bit of the history of where it comes from and and most of the sayings come from somewhere like that you know I could hear it on the tv I can read it um I could hear it in the overhear it in the conversation um and I just really need to try and make the notation of it and of course not everything becomes something you know probably I don't know 90% of the sayings I've got don't become artworks, but um, the 10%, you know, try and make that particular. Um, in terms of, like, um, uh, what this might lead to in terms of uh, process with things, the first thing is that, you know, I, I, I have made some vinyl. I made some vinyl prints actually like about 15 or 20 years ago, um, and it was just interesting making them this time of that kind of improvement in the technology. Like I was kind of blown away with how vibrant the colour and all is, and it's a quite a kind of beautiful surface. So, and these sort of, you know, I guess kind of decorative overlays with, you know, the gold and these rainbow silver and all. And then there was a lot of other um, uh, specialist surfaces as well that, you know, I didn't go anywhere near, you know, it's a bit too much when I first saw them all and uh, rather than covering the whole thing in that, there's definite possibilities in that now. You know, when I see that, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, you just start applying these things. That, you know, you could apply the um, those decorative finishes to paintings or, um, you know, any other surface. I haven't, you know, explored that yet, but I, I imagine that you can. It's just it would be stuck on. So, um, yeah, that's, of course, the beauty, like, always working those projects, things come up that you weren't actually, you know, vinyl wasn't on my horizon um, until this project and now it is. So, you know, that's a great kind of byproduct of this, if you like. Amazing. Thank you so much. Look, thank you, all three of you, thank you so much for, for your time and your thoughts today. It's been so wonderful um, to hear from you all. Um, as each of you mentioned, and as we mentioned at the start, um, Gouled and John's works are on display in the CBD until the 6th of March, 7th of March, sorry. And Larissa, your work can be experienced um, until the 20th of March. Um, I hope you all get to experience these works. Um, you can also find out more at aca.melbourne. Um, our next public program takes place in person, hooray, <laughs> um, with a discussion about the public artwork titled Within Foundations by Beth Arnold and Sari Zanineri. So you can join us from midday on Saturday, 12 February for a light picnic lunch in the corner pocket park of the Melbourne suburb in, of Officer. And you can also find out more and register um, again at aka.melbourne. Um, thank you again so much for your afternoon and early morning um, time speaking to us today, Larissa Goulet and John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a wonderful afternoon and morning. Thank you.